So when I was 19 years old, I had the opportunity to take advantage of a friend of mine. And I know that sounds weird to, to say it that way, but we were at a, a paintball tournament and he had gotten into a situation where he had spent all his money and he had no money. And he said, Matt, I got a boat I'll sell you. I said, dude, I don't need a boat. I'm a college kid. And he said, no, no, you'll want this boat. It's camouflage. It starts on the first pull every time. It's got a trolling motor. It's got a, a, a batteries. It's got everything you can think of on it. You, you want to buy this boat. I'm like, I'm a college kid. I don't have money to buy a boat. He said, I'll sell you the whole thing, 500 bucks. I said, I just so happen to have 500 bucks. What I did not realize was that I was buying a 1968 model boat and trailer and motor. And up until about two years ago, this boat ran perfectly. It was super easy to work on, had never had any problems whatsoever. But about two years ago, things started falling apart. Now, I don't know if you've done much shopping for boat parts lately. It's kind of hard to find parts for a 1968 model anything. And so I finally made the decision that I was going to buy a new boat. And I bought a new boat, but it wasn't set up the way that I wanted it to be. So over the past six months, I have been doing what I think every middle-aged man does in their crisis moment. is I've been buying boat parts. And I realized that it was at that point when Whitney sent me an Instagram post and she said, I've just been worried about you meeting up with somebody on Facebook and buying boat stuff. I was like, fair enough. I almost bought a camper a few weeks ago, but I talked myself out of it. But I've been buying boat stuff. And yesterday was really the first day that I had to work on this boat. And I've got boxes of stuff, cool stuff, like just the right lights, just the right, you know, electrical connections. I'm an electrical connection weirdo. Like, if it's not the right connection, we don't do it. We don't make stuff work that's not, not the correct piece. And so I finally had a chance to work on it. But it seemed like every single thing I was doing was one piece shy of, of working. I was one screw short of attaching this, or I was one connection less of actually getting this done, or the wire was too big to go through the run that I had made it to go through, or I couldn't put this piece on because my welding machine wouldn't reach out there. I mean, it's an in-depth thing. When Matt buys a boat, big things happen. It's not just I go get a boat and I go fishing. Like, it's become a joke in the neighborhood now, you know. Mr. Jerry stopped by. Glenn has stopped by. My neighbor yesterday yelled over me over the fence, you ever going to take that boat fishing? I don't know, but I'm enjoying working on it. And in true Matt fashion, I'll probably get finished with it and somebody will want to buy it and I'll sell it because that's just how I do. But I, I was sitting there yesterday in, in the garage and I noticed that every time I wanted to work on something, three other things had to happen first. And before I could accomplish one thing, four other things had to be done first. And I was extremely frustrated to the point where I was about to do the middle-aged man thing and throw something. You know what I mean? Can we acknowledge that there's the elephant in the room? We like to throw things when we get frustrated. Okay, let's just be honest. And I was sitting there going, Matt, this is silly. This is a boat. You're not using it today. Let's just be honest. You're not going to use it next week or probably the next week. You're not in a hurry. This is something that is meant to be for leisure and for fun. And so I took a step back, and I inventoried all the things that needed to get done. 
And I did the true guy thing, and I gave up and went inside. But I was sitting there thinking about all the things that I had going on and all, all the ways that I was frustrated with trying to do something that was fun. And I've been thinking a lot this Lenten season and really over the past year uh, about this idea of Sabbath and how God commanded his people to have a day a week where they, they didn't do anything, but instead they simply existed in stillness and quiet and in peace. And I shared with you a while back, I think I shared with you, that there's actually no record in Israel's history of them ever having actually observed the Sabbath. But if you look at Israel's history, time and time and time again, they get in trouble. They do things that God tells them not to do. They, they get involved with things that God tells them to stay away from. They end up becoming so immersed in the world around them that they forget who they are. And like yesterday, I realized that this thing that was meant to be for joy and for leisure had become something that I had gotten immersed in, and it had completely changed the purpose of what it was to do. And you know, we're in Lent now, and I encouraged you, join me in, in these Lenten readings and to join me in fasting and to join me in times of prayer in order that we might slow down and that we might listen to what God is saying. And so yesterday I, I was sitting there thinking, it was a beautiful day. I had nothing that I had to get done. I was actually at a place where I could do things that I wanted to do, but yet I was so lost in the purpose of what it was that I forgot to pay attention of what a good day it was, of just how neat it was to be able to be at home and to be doing that stuff. And I wonder, and, and, and I think it's neat that this is coming up today because if you can't tell from the call to worship that Mr. Leroy shared with us and you can't tell from the video that, that Jeremy shared with us, which y'all don't know, I've unlocked a, a monster in Jeremy. He loves looking up these videos now. So if you're ever going to speak one Sunday morning and Jeremy says, now if you have any songs that you want us to do or you have any videos or a theme that you want, you just let me know and I'll take care of it. Dude's not kidding. Like, he has become a professional looking up these videos. I think he really enjoys it. But if you notice, there's a theme there. And last week, we didn't get to finish the sermon. We got through the first page out of three pages of notes. And you know, if I have notes, then it's something big that I want to share with you. And all week long, it's been eating me up going, Matt, how are we going to work in what we didn't talk about last week with what we're supposed to talk about this week so that we can stay on track with where we're trying to take this study of Nehemiah in the season of Lent. And this morning as we're sitting here and I'm reflecting on my weekend and I'm reflecting on the idea of Sabbath that God has put on my heart and I'm reflecting on all the things that are, are focusing that God, as I feel, is trying to, to bring into central focus, I think what we're seeing through everything that has happened over the last year 
through everything that is happening in the lives of our church members, through everything, the direction that God is taking us in, what we study, uh, to everything that I'm hearing from our people, is that we have become too busy for God. And you say, Matt, pump the brakes. You can't make that decision for me. And here's, here's what I'm saying. We've become too busy to hear when God tells us to speak. We've become too busy to be used for God. You say, now, Matt, I've done some good things this last year. That's, that's good. Well, Matt, you know, I've done more this last year than I've ever done. That's amazing. But imagine what would happen, as Mr. Leroy said, if all of our hearts were focused and in tuned to the one thing that God is wanting to accomplish. Would you pray with me real quick? God, as we open your word, I pray this morning as heavily as I've ever prayed it before that you would open our ears. God, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our eyes to the things of you. We are a busy people, and it's not of your doing. Our minds are busy because we have allowed so many things to take up residence. Our hearts are busy because we have allowed ourselves to be pulled by so many different things vying for our affections. Our ears have become so busy because we're afraid that we will miss out. And that somebody will have an edge on us in some way that is just unacceptable. So God, this morning as we open your word, may we place our heart in its genuine state before you. May we understand that you notice our anxieties, our fears, our depressions, our apathies. God, that you rejoice in our joys with us. And that you care when we are upset. And that you lament when we are saddened. And God, when we are filled with anxiousness, that you are worried over us. God, this morning as we read your word, give us a vision and a wonder for what it would look like if we presented to you the genuine state of our heart, if we allowed you to look through what we present to people, and we would allow you to see the real us, and you would allow us to each see the realness that we have. God, we ask this morning that you would guide us on a path that leads to everlasting life. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So last week, we were talking out of Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 11, and I reminded you, as did Mr. Leroy this morning, that Nehemiah was the king's chief of staff, and as the cupbearer, he was the most respected person in the household. There was nobody that had more authority than him. There was nobody that the king would listen to more than him, because he was the one who got to hear all of the conversations that the king had. When advisors would come in, Nehemiah was there. 
And so he had an overview of everything that was being said to the king and he had the ability to listen to every single thing that the king was saying in response and he was the only other person besides the king that had a grand picture of everything that was happening in the kingdom. And as the king noticed the disposition that Nehemiah had and he asked his friend, for lack of a better term, what was bothering him. We see that Nehemiah did something that perhaps is not normal, is probably not recommended to do in the face of the king, is that he was being honest instead of saying what he hoped the king wanted to hear. Now understand, when you speak to somebody with ultimate authority, your number one goal is to not make that person upset with you. Because there's nobody that can question what the king decides. And there's nobody that's going to ignore what the king decrees. So no matter how you feel, if the king addresses you, you're worried about saying what the king wants to hear. But we we hear and we read that Nehemiah didn't necessarily respond that way. But instead he responded what was on his heart. Because he knew God had placed something on his heart and God knew, or Nehemiah knew enough about God that if God had put it on his heart, then he needed to bring it up. And it was important. And so he took the opportunity before the king and he shared with him this heaviness on his heart. And I asked you a few questions last week. Uh, The first one is, do we ever personally own up to failing at living fully into what God has called us to do? You see, Nehemiah had come to a place where he confessed to God that he had not been the person that God had called them to be. He was secure, he was confident, he was living in luxury, he had his whole future taken care of, but he knew that the cost of that was being less than who God had called him to be and doing what God had put him to do. And with that confession, Nehemiah acknowledged that he was not the person that God was able to use. And I shared with you that God uses Christians, God uses his people to address the larger issues of society. That a broken society cannot fix itself. That a lost people cannot find themselves. It takes somebody sent by God, empowered by God, called by God. To do that work in the midst of society as a whole. And then we finished on a statement that said Christians rarely and sometimes never in the life of their faith get to a place where they are willing to truly be honest with God. Now, I don't know about you. But there are times when I'm praying that I get up there and I pray, God, I can be real with you, I can be honest with you, and I can admit my sins, and I list off things that I would never tell other people. But let's be honest, at the end of that prayer, I'm doing that for me, kind of a let's get the eraser and clean the chalkboard so that we don't have to feel guilty. But that statement when I say that we rarely or never get a place where we're willing to be truly honest with God is not just a blanket confession so that we can say that we checked that box and we're in good standing with God. But it's a place where we come to a point of confession with God where we're willing to make a change. 
You know the key word that we use in Christian lingo for that change I'm talking about, that repentance. We've been having some good conversations in the office over the understanding of repentance. We teach repentance as the idea of turning away from the world and and picking up the things of God, but we rarely ever consider the idea of repentance as a changing of mentality. We're willing to change in action, but our mentality is where we struggle letting go. And that is the point that Nehemiah got to when he was willing to make the change that was necessary to be the person that God called him to be. You see, Nehemiah did change his actions. He left the king's kingdom and he left the security and he left the safety and he left the good food and he left the authority and he left the retirement plan and he left all of that stuff behind. But before he could get to that point, his whole mindset had to change about what his purpose was. Because what would have happened if Nehemiah would have changed what he was doing, but he wouldn't have changed his mindset? He would have complained. He would have found excuses. He would have been unhappy. So he might have been doing things that look good. He might have been looking the part, but he still might have been falling short of who God had said he was supposed to be. So I want us to turn in our Bibles today. We're going to actually go back into the New Testament to the book of James. And I want to share with you a passage of scriptures, verse 7 through 16. I know it sounds like a lot of verses. It's really not. I'm a good reader. I can read it decently fast. But I want you to hear what the author of this passage says that helps us look at who Nehemiah was versus who Nehemiah became and help us to understand what it looks like when we are able to be still before God, when we are able to shut out the noise, when we're able to close the world off and to get to a point where we can truly confess to God who we are. Listen to these words. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen, and you too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For luck, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience and suffering, brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance, and you can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. But most of all, brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or by anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not, be, not sin and be condemned. Are there any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come, pray over you, and anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. I 
tell you, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other so that you might be healed. For the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. We just covered a lot of topics right there in those few verses. But that last verse right there is one that I wanted you to hear because I feel like it is one that the author used to sum up everything else that happened. You see, all these other things talk about what faith does and what we do if we live and if we're called by faith. He says, to hold fast because the Lord is coming. When you're struggling with something, when you're enduring something and you're wondering where God is in it, those words hold fast are sometimes the thing that becomes the difference in your survival and your falling through. To trust that the Lord is coming when you have to tie that knot in your rope and just hang on and wait for God to do something because you are at the end of everything that you can do. But notice he doesn't just say hold fast and hang out. He uses the example of the farmer. Farmers, what do you do when it's raining outside and you can't get in the field? You go in the shop and do the other things that need to get done, right? You get on the phone and you make phone calls to your suppliers and your distributors, right? Maybe you go in the house and help clean because, you know, you've been letting that slide a little too long. You're welcome for that. But nowhere in this passage of Scripture does it say, when you don't know what to do, does it say just to hang out and be lazy. Farmers are still preparing for the harvest that is to come. Even when their schedule is messed up, even when the things that they have laid out aren't going to be able to go the way they had planned, they are still working. And so the author says to pray for God to move, to pray for God to do something and to continue the work that is before us. Did you know that if we are alive, it's because we have a purpose? If we are still breathing air, that means God's not done with us? Did you know that if you still have the ability to do anything, God still has work for you to do? Maybe it is simply just telling somebody else about Jesus Christ. It sounds simple, but it's probably the biggest thing that each of us struggle to do. Am I right? To just tell somebody about Jesus and what Jesus has done and how good Jesus is. That's really hard if we watch the news. If we have anything to do with the internet whatsoever. I heard John Piper the other day make a statement, and he probably made it years ago, I just heard it, where he said, if you don't have a faith that can withstand the internet, you're in trouble. You look at the internet, and you look at the news, and you look at people's conversations and all that, and you think that the world is the worst that it's ever been. It's just going downhill quick, fast, and in a hurry. But the reality of it is, is if you've ever read a history book, we're doing pretty good. We're doing pretty good. We really don't have to worry about Vikings coming through town and slaughtering everybody anymore. Our goats and our sheep are pretty safe. But we don't think about that if we pay attention to the noise all around us. We don't pay attention to the things that are going good because there's so much going on that is bad. And so the author says here to hold fast but to continue working because you know that God is still doing something. 
And sometimes these situations that are tough, these situations that are hard, that seem like the odds are insurmountable, are the very things that God is going to use to change your situation. Does anybody in here have a memory of something that they thought was going to be the worst time in their life, and then three months later they're just kind of chuckling about it? Yeah? This is the most devastating thing ever. We're never going to recover from this. And then six months later, you're struggling to recover the, re- the details so that you can tell people exactly what was so bad. You ever have those moments? Yeah, yeah I have those. And he says, look at the Old Testament prophets. He said, they suffered, but through perseverance, they were blessed. Do we, can we recall anybody in the Old Testament that lived it up and had a great life? Absolutely not. Every single one of them suffered in some way. Some of them lost. Job lost every single thing. But in losing everything, what did he find? I shared this with the youth the other day. One of my favorite messages in Scripture, my favorite passages, is when God and Job are talking. And Job is questioning God. And God says this. He says, Job, who are you to question me? Are you the one that gave the crow the ability to crow? You ever thought about that? God was the one that made a chicken be able to be annoying. And yet we wonder sometimes, what is he doing in our lives? God, what are you up to in the world around me? Dude, look, I made this chicken be annoying and wake you up every single morning. And sometimes in the mid-afternoon. And Job at that moment realized what, had, what his God had said. And he realized finally who God was. And he made this statement. He said, God, he said, my entire life I'd heard of you. My entire life, I lived to be one of your people. I spoke your name. I was proud of you. And he said, God, but it's not until this moment that I have seen you. And the only reason that Job was able to see God is because of all the devastation that happened to him. And we know that Job was blessed. And Job's story is the story that we use thousands of years later to understand what it means to get to that mindset of seeing God above the stuff, of hearing God speak above the noise, of repenting, of becoming the person that God wants us to be, of endurance and perseverance and all those things. We see that because Job experienced devastation in a profound way. I need more time. In verse 13, the author says that our prayer life is the indicator of our spiritual life. You ever thought about that? Let's just be honest. How many of us throw up some superficial prayers to take care of business? Let's just be honest with ourselves. Bad day, God fix it. Or we play Carrie Underwood, Jesus take the wheel. Let's be honest. But how many of us spend time each day deep in prayer? Where we get on our knees, we physically get on our knees, we humble ourselves, we make ourselves uncomfortable potentially, we do something that requires time, we do something that requires us to turn our phones off, to turn our computers off, to turn our TVs off, to turn everything besides being with God off. How many of us do that? Very few of us. Maybe none of us, I don't know. But our prayer life is the indicator of our spiritual life. So that's why I invited you to join me during Lent to spend time in prayer.
not a few five minutes in the morning while the kids are getting ready or while you're on your way to, to work or whatever, but intentional, where when people are going to lunch, you go to your room and you close the door and you get on your knees and you pray. Because we need to understand where our spiritual life is if we are ever to get to a point where we can be the people that God truly wants us to be. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness throughout his time. We see where Jesus went away to pray. On the night that he was arrested, Jesus went by himself to pray. And any scholar that has looked at the person of Jesus Christ believes that the only reason he was able to overcome the temptation, he was able to withstand the turmoil inside of, do I want to go through this or do I not want this to happen, was because of the connection that he had with God. The time that he got away to intentionally shut out everything in the world. And he didn't have Twitter. He didn't have Instagram. He didn't have push email notifications. He didn't have 24-7 connection to a cell phone. And if he needed it then, how much more do we need it now? Quite a bit. All of these things to say... That our confession to God is critical. It is critical on so many levels. Not so that we can check the box of being good little Christian believers. It is critical so that we can know who God is. So that we can be confident of what God has accomplished. So that we can be accomplished, so that we can be accomplished as the workers of God and not just people who live by a title but never get to the work that is given to us. You see, that's the point that Nehemiah got to when he was able to do something that any person in the world would say was stupid. You left the best position in the world to go live with a bunch of people who were broken, who were depressed, who couldn't tell going forward from going backwards, who were living in broken buildings and rubble and had no identity or purpose whatsoever. But if Nehemiah had not gotten to the place where he could be real with God and himself, he never would have done that. And sadly for many of us, our faith is never going to get to the point where we would trust God enough to go live in a mud hut and tell somebody about Jesus. Our faith is never going to get to a point where we would walk into a room with a bunch of four and five-year-olds and tell them the story of David and Goliath. I had 10th graders one time who in the United Methodist Church and had never heard the story of David and Goliath. That's because they had never had a solid Sunday school teacher. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't understand how you can make it in the Bible Belt and not hear the story of David and Goliath, even outside of church. But it happened. And these were good kids that came to church every week and led small groups and read their Bibles every day. They never knew the story of David and Goliath. That's like one of the, like if you say, tell me a Bible story, that's the number one that's going to come up. It's just how it is. But if we don't get to a point where we are willing to confess who we are before God, 
that we are noisy, that we are willing to give our opinions before we are willing to see how is this worshiping God. That we are willing to tell people what we want instead of hearing what needs to be done for the sake of God's purpose. Then we are never going to be the people that God uses to accomplish something great. And y'all, the worst fear that I have as a pastor is that I never accomplish something for God's kingdom. To be honest with you, it's terrifying. That's a lot of wasted time and energy. So what are we doing? What are we doing now that we are hearing Nehemiah's story? And if you've been following along with the readings each and every day, there's some pretty amazing stuff happening They have been able to stand through some pretty strong opposition. Some pretty harrowing situations. But they do it with confidence. What would happen if we as the church lived with confidence in God? What would happen if we as the church did things not based on what we wanted to do or what was better for us or easiest for us, but we did things that were intentional because we knew that that is who God called us to do. Called us to be who God called us to be. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. This is an English class. Y'all, we have an opportunity to discover God. The God that we've heard about our whole lives, we now have a chance to say, God, I have seen you. And imagine what God would do if we were willing to be that honest and come before him and let our hearts be in tune with his heart. Imagine, if you keep reading the story of Nehemiah, you're going to find out some kind of the things that happen. The best part about it is not that they built the wall. It's not. Would you pray with me? God, this morning, we have opened your words. We have gone over our time. We have done all the things that we said we didn't want to do this Sunday. We wanted to be on time. We wanted it to be good. We wanted to leave and go about our afternoon. But God, I pray more than anything that if we have done nothing else, that we have stopped that we didn't worry about lunch, that we didn't worry about this afternoon, that we didn't worry about the week coming up, but we just heard what was being said in the moment that it was being said, and we realized the place and where we were, that we were gathered together for one purpose, to be about the stuff of God. And God, that you would make us so stinking uncomfortable with leaving where we are. That you would give us no desire to go back to business as usual. That you would give us no desire to put you back on the back burner till next Sunday. But God, you would do something catastrophic in us in order to help us see the God that is before us and the spirit that you have made available to be inside of us. God, we know that we are busy. We know that we are loud We know that we have a list of things that we think is more important than everything else that the world has going on. But God, we know through your word, we know through Nehemiah and Job and the author of James and the life of Jesus Christ that the only thing important for us is what you are wanting to do in us and through us. 
So God, give us a desire to seek for that, to trust in you, to knock that you would open doors and invite us to a new life. We pray this as your church and as your people in Jesus' name. Amen.